Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell. James Harding is away, so I'm in the editor's chair today. It's Monday, the 25th of September. We've had an exciting weekend of news, so let's get on with it. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. Overnight, the writer's strike reaching its final act. It comes nearly 150 days after film and TV writers walked out on Hollywood and hit the picket lines. The Home Secretary has said armed policing is being reviewed after a revolt in the ranks following the murder charge against an officer involved in a fatal shooting. After over a decade of broken promises, High Speed 2 has been delayed yet again. London never has to choose between a north-south line and an east-west line and good public transport. Why is it that people in the north are always forced to choose? Why are we always treated as second-class citizens? I'm joined by tortoise journalists Basha Cummings and Alexi Mostrus. Hello. Hello. And by Rachel Wolfe. Hi. Rachel is founding partner of the policy consultancy Public First... She co-authored the Conservative Party's election manifesto in 2019, and most importantly, she presents Tortoise's new weekly podcast, Trendy, with the polling guru, Professor John Curtis. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. How are you finding the world of podcasting? Based on one episode so far, it's a delight. Well, I can recommend it to all listeners. It is very trendy, apart from anything else. (laughs) Thank you for joining us at the news meeting. You've each got a story that you think should lead the news. We're going to discuss each one. And at the end, I am going to decide the running order. Let's start with your long stories short. So in a single sentence, what do you want to talk about, Alexi? This is the story of a spaceship called OSIRIS-REx, which returned from a seven-year mission carrying some very old dust. Excellent. Thank you very much. Rachel? HS2, the northern leg, might, we don't know, but might get cancelled. Thank you. And Basha, what's your story? Mine is the Formula One of feet. The Formula One of feet. I'm already excited. Sounds very weird. (laughs) Those are twitching. So, Alexi, tell us in a little more detail about your story. So, I chose this story because it's just a really nice story. It's a really positive fill your heart with joy story about space and space exploration and the limits of of, of human endeavor uh, that doesn't involve Elon Musk. <laughs> it's a spaceship called OSIRIS-REx that took off seven years ago on a mission to collect some space dust from this scary sounding asteroid called Bennu. Uh, and I have to say, it doesn't sound that scary, Bennu. 
Bennu. All right. No? Was Bennu a god of war or it sounds or kind it sounds of like, like he would be. Exactly. Oh, okay. Because the thing about Bennu, which I kind of wanted to get to later, but might as well just throw in now, is that there's a sort of small chance that it might hit Earth okay. in the future. So it's kind of, you know, scary. Anyway, so they collected the, the space dust from uh, Bennu, and the, the spaceship and the, the little package of dust has just arrived back uh, in Utah, having gone on a sort of three billion mile round trip. So some of the numbers in this are in crazy. 4.5 billion years old, that's how old Bennu is, and how old the dust is. The point about this story that makes it really interesting is that this dust could contain the secrets of life. Right. And the asteroid, they say, is 4.5 billion years old, which is the age of the solar system. How on earth, this is a a tricky one, I know, you can just say pass if you want to. How do do they know? How can you age an asteroid? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Pass? Why do they think it contains the secrets of life? Uh, I can I can answer that. Yeah, one. go ahead. That was a good good question. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, there is a theory, a hypothesis that when everything started off before the Earth was, you know, Earth, that asteroids like Bennu might have crashed into it and delivered the sort of building blocks of life. So there might have been molecules contained within the asteroid that contained water or that contained other kind of organic material Mm -hmm. that basically seeded life. So the possibility of analysing what's on Bennu could substantiate that theory and we could know where life comes from. I find it quite compelling that in trying to understand the dust, they will possibly be able to figure out how we stop it from colliding with Earth and possibly wiping us out. It's like know your enemy. Yeah. If you know what the asteroid is made of, then you can destroy it. Then you can blow it up. Like deep impact. This does sound like the sort of thing that they do to justify the expenditure to Congress. Like, if you just let us send us billions of miles, then we'll figure out how to stop the asteroid (laughs) crashing into Earth. No, because one of the nicest things which I saw yesterday on the news, which was that the head of planetary science at NASA said that 75% of the sample is going to be locked away for future generations so that they can test it with instruments and, and things that we haven't even invented yet or can't even imagine. And you think SpaceX would never do that. Exactly. It's a way of thinking about our place in the universe that I think is quite nice. It's good, isn't it? Because SpaceX would need like a commercial imperative to go up there. There'd need to be yeah. some sort of like actual kind of PL analysis. Whereas I know Giles is a big fan of space. These are kind of no. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan it. of let's NASA too. But look, let's talk a little bit about the the the, the magic of the moment, right? I mean, there's uh, there's this footage of the little craft coming osiris rex coming back to earth under its um parachute and it's amazing isn't it how long it takes to land um and and then you've got this thing from (laughs) outer space and what two two people with gas masks on uh approach with caution is that right it was it was like it was a a very filmic yeah so it sort of starts off coming into the atmosphere at twenty seven thousand miles an hour and they've got to work out a way of slowing it down to 11 miles an hour, which is the sort of speed that you have to get to so that everything doesn't break. And then it lands, and then all the focus switches on how to get it into a safe environment without letting it touch or be contaminated mm. by anything else on Earth. Okay, a uh, couple of questions. The Japanese have done this all before. Why should we bother now? Because the Japanese 
did it much smaller. Like mm-hmm. tiny little teaspoons of rock were collected by their spacecraft from another asteroid. And and it, it gave some really interesting kind of preliminary results that hopefully Bennu will be able to substantiate further. And I read that they hope to have collected 250 grams of asteroids. Yeah. And they will regard the mission as a success if it turns out they collected 60. Right. Do we know yet? How much they've got? Have they, have they... No, it's, it's, it's that, that's what's really exciting. It's a live story. So in the next few days, we'll know. Okay, great. Basha, uh, you seem to have been quite excited by this. I was taken in by the joy of the moment, I have to say. This didn't feel like SpaceX, you know, thrusting huge rockets up into the atmosphere and big explosions. It felt like a thoughtful, future-oriented way of trying to understand our place in the universe. And I think that's a nice thing. And also the guy who's been leading the program was just so wonderfully excited and had been weeping as this thing landed. And it just felt like, oh, we've we've finally maybe done something quite good. I agree with you. And I, by the way, I need to kick back against the reputation I'm getting as a Musk fanboy. I think this this aspect of all these long robot missions, which is that individual scientists stay with them for so long for much Mm. of their careers is very moving what do you reckon yeah i quite like it i think (laughs) (laughs) it's a good thing we're still trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe i confess it doesn't seize me with quite the level of overwhelming emotion that it does the others on the table but i'm sure (laughs) that is my lack (laughs) not the stories fair enough well we'll come back to it in a bit um (laughs) rachel Tell us a bit more about your story. So I guess it's from super long-term thinking, billions of years, to super short-term thinking. Why does the thing that's leading the news right now deserve to lead the news? As most people will have read, uh, HS2 Northern Leg, the bit Birmingham North, is plausibly going to be cancelled as part of Rishi Sunak's attempt to relaunch himself from the Conservative Party a year before the election. Why does this deserve to be in the news? Uh, I think it matters for a few reasons. The first is there's this long-running trend discussion about the lack of balance between the south of England and the north of England. Its productivity is lower in the north, growth is lower in the north. A lot of in- of the UK's sort of economic success is driven by London and the southeast. And they get less, much less money. We have a great transport network in London. Leeds is still waiting for its transport. There's no good into transport between the north. So, so I think it matters for that reason. I think it matters a bit if you find these things interesting in terms of we're entering election year and we're about to be submerged in these kind of stories that try and create dividing lines between the Conservatives and Labour and to a lesser extent, but we should mention them since it's their conference this week, the Liberal Democrats. Um, And I think it matters for a third reason, which is why I'm more sympathetic to this cancellation than a lot of people, which is um, the British government, and this is not a political point, seems completely incapable of delivering any kind of infrastructure to time and cost. You know, why why is the public generally quite keen on cancelling HS2? Because it costs an absolute fortune and its budget has gone from 37-ish billion, which is already quite a lot, before it was uh, launched, that's about half the school's budget, up towards 106 billion and counting right now and presumably to balloon further. And when you look at other countries, they don't seem to have this problem in the same way. Have the Tories been doing their own polling, which convinces them that there's a political dividend here? I'm sure, uh, because all political parties poll all the time. But we do a lot of polling in our consultancy and HS2 is not popular, right? People laugh hollowly about the extra 20 minutes they're going to gain from London to Birmingham. And generally for them, it is a symbol of 
cost and waste. That doesn't mean it's not a good idea. You shouldn't do everything purely based on a single issue poll. But people are really sceptical about it. So all politics is local. And one reason HS2 is unpopular in Buckinghamshire is because it ploughs through Buckinghamshire. But isn't it the case that uh, the current Tory majority rests to a large extent on promises made to um, red wall voters in the north, including levelling up. And if they, I cannot think of a more powerful symbol of junking levelling up than junking the northern part of HS2. How much have we already spent on HS2? That is a really good question, which I don't know the answer to. I think we spent billions, but all on the bit that's carrying on. Right. So I think actually, if you could go back to the beginning and you were told, look, you're only going to be able to do half of this because uh, it's ridiculously expensive. A lot of people would choose the Birmingham upline, but they've already committed to the London Birmingham line. It's incredibly difficult for them to reverse it now. I mean, I suppose it's the typical thing that you would never start where you are. And that is why they look like they're abandoning the North. But from their point of view, this is just like non-feasible amounts mm. of I money. think as of January, more than 20 billion had already been I spent. Um, wow. So it's it's a really substantial amount, and of course, if you've if you've been on the existing uh, train lines from Euston to Birmingham, you'll have seen gigantic building sites. Half of central Birmingham has been dug up already. Um, uh, you won't have seen the equivalent site at the southern end of the line in Old Oak Common. But at the moment, there's a possibility that all that we'll be left with for however many tens of billions will be a, an ultra high speed line from central Birmingham. Birmingham to northwest London. And not even going into central London. No. Yeah. I mean, the whole Euston refurb and that part of the line is on hold. At what point did it go wrong? Because, you know, when I was listening to Grant Chap say, you know, we couldn't have predicted a war in Europe, we couldn't have predicted this kind of inflation, those feel like quite new factors. But at what point do you think this whole project starts to fall apart? Well, the costs have been ballooning for a long time. So even in 2016, it was, I think, nearly double. We have a long-standing problem in the UK that our infrastructure projects get expensive and more so for various reasons, some of which we understand, some of which we don't. But it is also true that we've had a number of shocks in recent years. So I, I did the manifesto in 2019. Obviously, when we wrote that, COVID seemed unimaginable. The war in Ukraine possibly incorrectly, seemed unimaginable in the concomitant rise in energy prices. So we've had huge numbers of shocks. And it feels like we're in an era where we're going to get more of them, right? We've got trade wars on the horizon, everyone's shaping up between um, sort of China and America and how that's going to play out. So we're probably going to have more. And so it's not completely crazy to say, given that, we need to be a bit more cautious. And we have very little wiggle room. We do have very high debt. We do have that we have to service. We do run at a deficit. I think the problem is, even if you think that's totally understandable, right now, what people feel is I'm poorer. My public services don't work. I don't really care about this train line because it's really expensive. And I think it's a bit of a waste of time, but I can't get a bus or get into the city centre. And the fact that COVID happened, well, generally, People don't care, really. They want to know what's going to happen for them next. Has the case for the whole thing been undermined by tech as well? I remember reading that paragon of radical uh, conservative thinking, Alistair Heath in The Telegraph, saying the whole thing's um, a waste of time anyway because Zoom, because EVs will undermine the environmental case. Is it? I mean, is there something in that? I mean, to an extent, 
the evidence seems to me, I'm sure you'll have all looked at this, that although we're not completely at pre-COVID peaks, actually people are traveling again, right? Like they are, they do still see a virtue in seeing each other in person. And there still are effects from people being together in a big city. And I think it's also true that generally we underestimate what the benefit of infrastructure is going to be. Mm. So I, I think that is a risk. Alexia, are you grabbed by HS2? I recognise that it's really important. But grabbed, I'm not sure. You feel I mean, the way I did about asteroids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. right fair. back at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is really important. It is really. I, I would. I would like to know two things. One, if it is scrapped, then what will the money uh, or a proportion of the money be spent on instead? Will it be spent on uh, exactly as was said, other infrastructure projects uh, in the north? Um, and I'm also quite interested in why we're so bad at long-term infrastructure. Yeah. And especially when compared to like other countries that seem to be able to do it much more easily. Those are great questions to which we should give a little bit of time. And that um, isn't where does the money go if it's scrapped? And and is the money there? Yeah, and I mean, and the answer to all those we don't know, right? It's not like Rishi Sunak's actually stood up and said he's cancelling this. This right. is all speculation and briefing. And we know he's pretty fiscally conservative, so it's quite plausible the answer to that is nothing. Or maybe funding the inheritance tax cut that he also briefed but didn't confirm yesterday. So we have no idea where the money is going. I would like it to go on infrastructure in the north, but don't know. We have very, very restrictive planning rules in the UK. So it's very easy to block stuff, delay stuff, go through unbelievably lengthy bureaucratic cases for absolutely everything as you move inch by inch north. So we know that's a problem. And does that mean that you end up having to just pay more for these compulsory purchase orders to, you know, buy people's back gardens to to put the line through? Yeah, and also just time, right? right? You've just got consultants spending vastly more time, energy and effort on process rather than delivery. Now, lots of people say, well, that's the democratic right of the people to block this or require a case. But but we do a lot of this. Mm. So that's something we do know. I don't think we do really understand, though, why else we're rubbish at this. I should, by the way, draw listeners' attention to something that we did at Tortoise on this. Go to the Tortoise website, go to the search field and type in cost per mile. And you will see an amazing graphic that Chris Newell did a while ago that shows you cost per mile of HS2 compared with um, French high-speed rail, Spanish high-speed rail, bullet train, and then all the way down to the Trans-Siberian, which of course is not high-speed, but just very Anyway... Just suffice to say that the graphic is one of those scrolly things and it scrolls on and on <laughs> and on. Um, Basha, HS2, does it grab you? What I'm curious is, is he just testing the water? Yeah. So, you know, testing the water to see what kind of backlash he gets. Like you say, with inheritance tax, we don't really know what's happening with that, even though we've known about it for a while. It's been floated for a while. I think at the point at which it does get scrapped, I think that row between North and South and, you know, you can see Andy Burnham is like really gearing up for a fight, the chasm between North and South. Um, I think at that point I will feel interested in what this says about the Tories, the election, how they're going to, how you can stand by levelling up after this. I think at the moment I feel like we're sort of swimming around in... Speculation. Speculation. Yeah, that's fair. Interesting to note, by the way, that Labour... The also party, yeah. as distinct from Andy Burnham, who is mm. the mayor of Greater Manchester, has not said that it would necessarily fund it. 
this is going to be the big thing that happens in the next year politically, which is Labour is absolutely desperate to be the party of economic credibility, which means the minute that the Conservatives save money, they're terrified of doing anything but the same because they don't want to look like they're outspending the Conservatives mm. or outtaxing the Conservatives. So a lot of what this is, cynically, politically, is the Conservatives forcing Labour to consistently be on the back foot, drop stuff, drop stuff, drop stuff, so that they look weak and indecisive because they they don't want to outspend the Conservative Party. Rachel, thanks for your story. Let's take a moment and then we'll hear what Basha thinks should lead the news. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Basha, what have you got? So this is the story that over the weekend, Ethiopia's marathon runner Tigist Asefa, who's just 26 years old, blew the women's world record to smithereens in a time of two hours, 11 minutes and 53 seconds in Berlin. That's two minutes and 11 seconds faster than the previous women's world record. And it's not only remarkable because her previous marathon times were kind of good, but but not amazing. She's actually more of an 800 meter runner. One point to make is that you know, if this had been Elliot Kipchoge taking two minutes off the men's world record, it would be front page news. So I think there's just a thing about, you know, yeah. it's an incredible achievement um, in women's sport. But what makes this so much more interesting is that on her feet were a pair of Adi Zero Adios Pro Evo ones, which if you haven't heard of them, actually go on sale on Tuesday for £400. They have a 42-hour expiry, so they are single-use shoes. They are only meant for one race. It works at about £15.27 per kilometre. But what, what does the expiry mean? The shoe it melts? What happens? So the whole point is that these, these are trainers that are designed to propel you forward. So they have this kind of carbon sole and this special kind of foam, and the shape of them is, is designed to kind of give you this forward momentum. But... They, they won't last for longer than one race. So it's not just the lightness of the shoe? It's not just the lightness, although they are very light. The reason I wanted to pitch this is partly because of the amazing margins of that world record, but also because it, it reopens the super shoe war and it also shows, I think, that athletics are not quite sure how to deal with these super technical new innovations for running. So you mentioned the Vaporfly And if you look at the stats around how much these shoes are delivering in terms of advantage, so um, I'll just give you some numbers. So when Eliud Kipchoge broke the world record in 2018 wearing the Vaporfly shoes, he smashed the record by 1.06%. And these new shoes are delivering like single percentage points of improvement over a, a marathon race. And if you look at how much marathons are being won by now, it's 0.8%, which is the difference between first and fourth place in the women's marathon. 0.6% is the difference between first and fourth place in the men's 1500 metres. So having a shoe that is going to conserve energy is going to make you faster by 
some people are saying 4%, is a huge difference at elite levels. Can I just be clear about the, the percentage improvement in the marathon and what that means? You were saying that, what is it, about 1% between the winner and the, and the fourth place? 0.8% is the difference between first and fourth place. In and that's 0.8% of what? Of, of, the, of the time. Total time. Of the total of the time. To- and sorry, this is for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So this right. is a specific set of times. But that's the sort of average that you can calculate. Is the You know, that's, that's the margin that you're talking about. So I thought that you were going to be pitching this on the basis that it was waste. Well, sorry. it is. It is very wasteful. So that's the second point, is that these, you know, what does it say about elite sport that you're creating a a shoe that can only last once? And lots of people have been very critical about this. Uh, Some people have branded them anti-sustainability and immoral and a publicity stunt. But then the, and have pointed out that Adidas generally are quite good on sustainability, quite good on trying to avoid plastic. And the sort of acolytes are saying, well, why is this any different to a Formula One tyre? that you would only use for part of a race. These are extremely high-end, elite pieces of kit. Um, But the point about regulation is also important, which is that it's only relatively recently that World Athletics have figured out a way to try and regulate these pieces of tech. And they've started to say that, well, since 2020, they've said that these shoes have to be commercially available to try and level the playing field. But they're slightly getting around it by... You know, there's only 521 pairs of these shoes commercially available and they're available to elite athletes for a year before as part of a kind of development contract. OK, Alexi, briefly, are you interested in these shoes? Uh, yeah, I am really. I've, I think it's a, an amazing topic. And, and I'm interested in whether the use of those shoes takes away at all from a Cephas achievement. What do you think? I don't think so, no. I don't think so. I mean, I think I think the fact that they're single use slightly mars it because I think it sort of adds this bigger question. But no, I think I don't think you can. I think it's enhancing an amazing performance. I don't think it's uh, cheating. cheating. Also, to your point, I'm sure if you went through all the sports, there are lots of things that are single use. I don't know how many like strings on a tennis racket you get through, etc. But damage to equipment seems to me like a part and parcel of. Yeah. High, high elite sport. Yeah. Okay, before I decide what leads the news, I want to hear what you all think. So as you may know, Rachel, this is your first time, so you may not. You can't choose your own story, but you do have to tell me what you think should lead the news. Uh, Rachel, I'll start with you. I do really like the feet story. One of my controversial opinions is we spend far too much attention on sports where humans are fundamentally mediocre compared to all other animals. And the thing we're good at is inventing stuff. And this is a really good example of us inventing things to get faster, which is why, like, the gorillas can't compete with us because we invent stuff. So I really like it for that reason. Okay. Alexi, what leads the news? You cannot have Bennu. I think I'm going to go for HS2 because I love the feet story, but there are loads of examples of similar cases where uh, equipment manufacturers develop stuff that uh, makes sportsmen faster or better, whether it's Formula One cars or that that laser swimsuit that got banned a few years ago. And this is just another one on, on, on that road. Thank you. Basha. Purely for the joy it inspired in the guy who ran the project, I'm going to go with Osiris Rex and the asteroid. Well, well, here's what I think. I cheated. I came into this having made up my mind in advance. And um, I haven't changed my mind. I think in third place, I will run Osiris Rex. 
because it's not the first time we've brought stuff back from uh, asteroids. Japanese did it 10 years ago, admitted it was very small sums. But uh, as I think you acknowledged, Alexei, we don't even know how much they've got back yet. And we certainly don't know whether it's going to tell us anything about the origins of, of life on Earth. Though the question is a good one. And so <laughs> it, it warrants some space below the fold for that. Um, second, I am going to put the shoes because, and in fact, in, in visu- visual terms, this, this definitely warrants the sort of central picture uh, above the fold. So leading the news today will be the news that the Conservatives under Rishi Sunak are considering scrapping the northern half of HS2 because I think it uh, is a political story. It tells us, as you said, Rachel, a lot about our inability to get infrastructure done. Uh, but I think the arguments on both sides are, are compelling. I think there is a strong argument for saying we should never have embarked on this and that it's been rendered redundant by tech uh, in, in the long period of its gestation. Um, and so for those reasons, it leads the news. Alexi, Basha, Rachel, thank you. You can hear much more from Rachel on Trendy every Thursday. Just search for Trendy wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you follow the feed so you don't miss an episode. And you can hear more from me on Friday's episode because on Wednesday evening, I'm hosting another edition of the news meeting live in our London newsroom. It starts at 6.30pm and we'll be joined by special guest comedian Andy Hamilton. To be in the audience, just go to the book section of the Tortoise website, which is tortoisemedia.com to get your ticket. Details are in this episode's description. But I wanted to end this episode of the news meeting with the joy and jubilation, there you'll be pleased, Basha, in the NASA control room when the OSIRIS-REx capsule returned to Earth with samples from the surface of the asteroid Bennu. Studio milestone, we have confirmed parachute deployment. Wow, and after an exhilarating streak across Earth's atmosphere, we have parachute deployment. You can see just a sigh of relief from the team. I can hear some applause here. There is that orange, creamsicle-colored parachute. Just a delight, a sweet delight to see. Tortoise. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.